Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslender. This message is from the series, The Book of Acts, The Church Then and Now, and was preached on September 17, 2023. It always sounds like I'm old when I say something like this, and I'll go ahead and acknowledge this, but 1982 and 1983, I pastored a church that met in this old house in Gila Bend, Arizona, while I was a student at Grand Canyon College. It looked a little better then than it did now, but not a whole lot better. And we had our challenges. This building had a swamp cooler rather than an air conditioner. So August especially was pretty horrible inside there. The building had leaky pipes that meant when we closed up the building on Sunday after church, we had to be sure and turn the water off outside or we'd have a mess and maybe mold when we came back the uh, next week. We had old-fashioned metal folding chairs, some of them beginning to rust. We had a very old, out-of-tune piano that somehow my wife was able to make it sound worshipful. And the worship leader, me, only did a good job when the ladies in the back row sang very loud. And they usually did, sometimes off-key, but always they sang joyfully. I had two ushers, 10-year-old Keith and 6-year-old Isaac. And they took their job seriously, and they came every week. Both of them became believers in Jesus while I was there. And I've lost connection with them, but I hope to connect with them someday, if not in this world, then in the next. We rarely had more than 20 to 25 people in church. And other than Don and myself, the interesting thing about the congregation was that it was almost always made up of people younger than 13 or older than 70. Almost nobody in between. As you might imagine, the offerings were very small, and they could barely pay me enough gas money to make it to church and back to school afterwards. But God blessed the church, and God blessed Don and I very much. And despite the obvious limitations of this church, it was healthy. They were good people in a good church. Now, honestly, there, there are churches like that one all over the world. And sometimes in America, our money and our fine buildings have hurt us more than helped us. And that'll happen if we're not careful because we come, become spoiled. Now, we are doing a good thing in our church to raise money to improve our buildings. But understand that new carpet and better sound systems and even improved music or better preaching is not what makes a church healthy. And so we need to find out from the Bible what makes a healthy church because we want to be a healthy church here at Avondale Baptist Church. Now, we've talked about some of these things already in the series. We've talked about a filling of God's Spirit. We've talked about unity, love among the fellowship. We've talked about constantly preaching and teaching 
about Jesus, seeing people come to faith in Jesus on a regular basis. We're going to see some more things about church health in today's passage. So let me set the stage, because we're in this section of Acts in which the church had problems, they had issues, they had obstacles. Church life was not easy, but they were still healthy. For example, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John were arrested and they were commanded to stop preaching Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, we saw last week, the church experienced a financial scandal and they realized that there was hypocrisy in the church that God dealt with. Later in Acts chapter 5 and in chapter 6, a passage we'll read today, the apostles were arrested and beaten, and within the church there were accusations of racism, unfairness, and favoritism. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was martyred, and that hit the church hard. And in Acts chapter 8, persecution hit not just the leaders, but the entire church so hard that most of the members scattered and moved elsewhere. Church life is not without obstacles and challenges and issues. But they were a healthy church, and they took it, and they survived, and they even thrived. That's what healthy churches do. (coughs) Unhealthy churches can look great. They skate along just fine until they hit rough ice, and then that trips them up. But healthy churches survive and thrive. I really do want us to be healthy, so I want us to understand some of the things that make for a healthy church. So we're going to read, beginning with Acts chapter 5, middle of verse 40, and rolling on over into Acts chapter 6. Let's stand together as we read. Acts 5, beginning with a new sentence in the middle of verse 40. They, that's the Jewish leaders, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. This was indeed, despite two challenges we read in this passage, this was a 
healthy church. Some of their obstacles came from outside. The apostles, the leaders, the pastors were arrested and flogged and commanded not to preach Jesus. Some of their obstacles came from within the fellowship when they began to realize, hey, maybe we're not being fair. Maybe there's a little bit of racism in here. And they had some issues. They overcame them both and continued to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to be like. Hey, will we have issues? Yeah, undoubtedly. Will there be problems inside the church that we need to solve? Yeah, that's, that's life. Will there be problems coming at us from outside that we have to solve? Absolutely. But we want to be healthy. And so we need to know <coughs> the definition of a healthy church. So the first thing I want to share with you is a healthy church is highly regarded. A healthy church has a good reputation. Jeremy read the verse earlier in chapter 5. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Hey, we're afraid to go to your church because you guys are getting arrested and we don't want to be arrested. Nevertheless, we have a very high opinion of your church and of your members. It's the second time Luke pointed this out already in the early part of Luke. In Acts chapter 2, he said, the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. Luke is making a point, and it's a point we need to hear and a point we need to live by. Healthy churches have a good reputation even among non-believers. Now, let's be honest about life in America right now. The American church has a horrible reputation. Surveys show that when people are asked about the church, they think we're judgmental, harsh, overly political, and extremely hypocritical. It's our job, mine and yours, to change that. So how do we change our reputation? Let me give you a few pointers. First, we've got to start by loving people. Most of the healings, and I want you to understand this, most of the healings in the book of Acts were done to unbelievers, people outside the church, people who needed Jesus. Their love was not just aimed inward, it was aimed outward. Now, I wish, and I, I, I wish that we had, like they did in those days, had the, they had the gift of healing so they could heal people. We don't have the gift of healing, but we can still love like the early church loved. We need to be, learn to be, and we're not that good at it as a church. We need to learn to be like Jesus, loving people even when we disagree with them. Being able to speak the truth but in a way that we're not putting people down and we're not acting like jerks because that's how we often come across. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're bad. You're no good. You're all going to hell. That's what the church sees. And we want to improve our reputation. We need to be seen as people of love. We also, to overcome the hypocrisy, need to learn to live a moral life, a good life by the highest possible standards. I don't just mean avoid the big sins like murder and theft and adultery. 
I'm saying in our day-to-day, everyday life, treat people with respect, speak with kindness, show patience, tell the truth, forgive, be generous, help neighbors and strangers, be involved inside and outside the church to feed people, house people, and take care of good people. The world needs to look at the church. They're good people. Even when they disagree with our theology. I'm not sure I believe in their Jesus. But they're good people. That happened in the book of Acts. And their reputation opened the door for them to speak Jesus. If we want people to listen to us, we have to improve our reputation. So I want you to live your life this way this week. I want everything you do, everywhere you go... I want you to live as if you were where you remember those old sandwich boards they used to use for advertising. I want you to to live your life as if you were wearing a sandwich board that says, I follow Jesus. I want you to drive as if you have a bumper sticker that says, I follow Jesus. By the way, I followed some of you. And if you're following Jesus, then Jesus drives really, really fast. But that's another issue. I want you to post on social media as if each post started with the word, I follow Jesus. I want you to treat waiters and clerks and business people and doctors and teachers as if your name tag said, Jesus. I want you to speak politically only when you can start a sentence with, I love God and I love people and I follow Jesus, so let me say. Unfortunately, what I often see on social media is, I love God and I love people, but... Listen, if we're Christians, there is no but. I love God, I love people, I follow Jesus. So I'm going to speak with the utmost respect even when we disagree. We've got to improve our reputation if we want to be healthy. Got to be a lover, not a judger. Got to be kind and not a jerk. Need to treat people out there with the same love that we treat people with in here. We need to look at strangers and even enemies knowing Jesus died for him. We've got to change our reputation. Or the church in America is headed for much more difficult times than we've ever experienced. A healthy church is highly regarded. Number two, a healthy church is obedient to God rather than obedient to man. Now, be careful how you answer this question, but how many bosses do you have? Here's the interesting thing in in church life. Here's the interesting thing in, in, in church life. In our form of church policy, polity, in which the members can call a pastor and fire a pastor, some days it seems like I have about three or 400 bosses. I'm also supposed to be responsible to the, the city governments of Avondale and Buckeye, to Maricopa County, to Arizona and the United States of America. And I have many more who may not be bosses, but have great influence on my life. 
my wife, my nine children, my nine grandchildren, my mother, my brother, several uh, sons and daughters-in-law. And it works for me only if I can see it in this way. Bottom line, I have one boss and only one, and it's God. The early church was clear. We will obey authorities in all things unless and except when it conflicts with God's law, and then we will obey God. Now, fortunately, we live in a country with a level of freedom that is much greater than the early church had. And we are rarely in conflict, but as America continues to change, that might change. So now we need to set the foundation and be clear. We will obey God rather than man. Notice how it worked in this passage. Verse 40, after flogging the disciples, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Okay, we're going to release you, but you can't go preach Jesus. And then verse 42, two verses later, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It wasn't so much rebellion, for they were respectful people. It was just, when we make the choice, we're going to obey Him rather than you. We're going to obey God rather than man. We will be respectful to all, but our first allegiance is to Him. If government tells us we can't preach Jesus, we need to preach Jesus. If we are punished... We will accept it with grace and preach Jesus. God outranks every other authority. And so when there is a conflict between authorities in our life, we will obey God. We'll do so over the government. We will do so over political parties. We will do so over our bosses. We will do so over our elected officials, always with respect, never with an attitude, but with the understanding that we have one boss, God. Church, healthy churches are highly regarded. They have good reputations in the community. They are obedient to God rather than man. And number three, they have a rejoicing rather than complaining attitude. They rejoice rather than whine. I love their attitude here. I don't see it much today because when you and I are, are persecuted or opposed today, you, you see what Christians do. We yell and scream and rant and rave and whine, and we hire lawyers, and we rant on social media, and we take it to the Supreme Court. Here's how the early church reacted after they had been arrested and beaten and told to stop Jesus. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they have been worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They left the Sanhedrin, maybe still dripping blood from their backs, rejoicing that they were seen worthy of the name. They rejoiced. They didn't whine. They didn't complain. They had identified with Jesus so much that instead of having a pity party, they made the connection. 
hey, they persecuted Jesus, they persecuted us. There's nothing to be surprised at. We're on Jesus' team. They, they, they told Jesus to shut up. They told us to shut up. That shouldn't bug us because we're like Jesus. They killed Jesus. They may kill us. That's okay. We are like Jesus. We are worthy of the name. Now, I don't know exactly what that rejoicing looked like. In my mind, and maybe I've seen too many football celebrations, but, you know, Peter and John were, hey, look, look, give me five. Hallelujah. They beat me just like they beat Jesus. Maybe they even did the chest bump thing when they, when they got back in front of the prayer meeting. I, I don't know how they did it. Maybe Simon the Zealot, who was clearly a very enthusiastic man, maybe he even had his version of a touchdown, well, I'm not going to dance, but a touchdown dance in front of them. Understand, they weren't whining, they weren't complaining, they were rejoicing because we're like Jesus. I don't see much of that attitude in the church today. Man, someone says you can't do that. And we're whining and complaining. We're hiring lawyers. We're doing everything we can. They just rejoice. We are like Jesus. It's an attitude thing. Like many things in life, your attitude shows the real you. And they were real disciples. And so they had the attitude of Jesus. You can persecute me. You can tell me to shut up. You can whip me. I'm going to do what God wants because he's God. And so a healthy church has a rejoicing rather than a complaining attitude. And number four, a healthy church worked as a team among the leaders and the members. Here was the problem. The disciples who were serving as the pastors of the church began to hear complaints. The Hellenistic Jews, those who were from more of a Greek culture and probably hadn't lived in Judea all of their life, they were beginning to say, hey, we're not getting as much ministry and food as are the Hebraic Jews, the natives who have lived in Jerusalem all their life. It's not fair. Maybe it was just their perception. Luke doesn't explain Maybe they thought there's some built-in racism here, and it's showing favoritism. Luke simply focused on the solution. We need more people to serve so that the pastors can focus on their calling, the ministry of the word, and the ministry of prayer. Peter and John and the disciples were smart enough. They knew we could do that. We could cook the food, we could divide it, we could do it fairly, but that's not our calling. The church itself, the members, are going to have to step forward and do what needs to be done. And that led to an important understanding of the church. It takes every member doing their job for a church to be healthy. Pastors don't have all the spiritual gifts. And they can't do everything. Legitimate ministry. I'm talking food, hospital visitation, grief counseling, financial, children, youth, benevolence, you name it. In a healthy church, 
is done by members more than it's done by paid staff. The church in America has kind of grown into this, we'll just hire full-time staff and they'll take care of all the issues and minister to us. It's not the biblical pattern. In the long run, it doesn't work. Luke here defines the role of the pastor primarily in two areas. You're supposed to pray and you're supposed to teach the word. Preach it, teach it, counsel it, disciple people. That's your job and we accept the rest of the ministry. A church is much like a football team. One man can't do it all. Have you ever seen a football team made up of one person? It's not going to win any games. Now, I've shared this with you before. I really did this as a child. I was pretty crazy as a boy. Maybe that led to some of my tendencies as an adult. But when I didn't have people to play with, I'd go out in the field behind my apartment complex, and I would play football all by myself. I was everything. I was the announcer, the center, the quarterback, the wide receiver, the coach, the referees, and the crowd. How did I do that? It was pretty crazy. I'll be the announcer. Time is clicking down on the clock. 10 seconds left to go. The Raiders have no timeouts left. They're down by four points, and they're 50 yards away. Quarterback Daryl Monica comes up to the line. He's under center. He looks right to his favorite receiver, Fred Blitnikoff. Three, two, he drops back to pass. He evades the rush. He falls back. The pack pockets collapsing around him. The last minute before he goes down, he throws a long pass. And I'd throw it really far and really high. And then I would run. But I threw it too hard. Pass incomplete. Half time. And then I'd do it all over. The announcers were down to the last chance for the Raiders. Time is expiring. They're still down by four. It's the fourth quarter. Ten. Nine. Quarterback Daryl LaMonica hobbles to the sideline. The old man, the backup quarterback, George Blanda, comes into the game. Hikes the ball. Five. Four. Three. And I would do the same thing. And then I would throw it as far as I can. And I'd try and run underneath it and catch it. Threw it too far. Time has expired. The Raiders have... No, wait, there's a flag on the field. Pass interference, first down at the one-yard line. Get an untimed, then I'd score and the Raiders would win because in the 60s, the Raiders always won, especially in my backyard, every single game. Neighbors must have thought I was weird. Maybe I was. But I want to tell you, that was good training for what churches sometimes expect of pastors. He'll do it all. That's not the biblical pattern. 
not what the Bible teaches at all. Everybody in the church has a job, and only when everybody does their job is the church healthy. Playing football by yourself is almost impossible. Doing church by yourself is almost impossible. A healthy church. And the, the disciples taught the church, hey, you guys are going to have to figure this out. Find some good people. Let's do this. Because our job, we're to preach. We're to teach. We're to pray. And everything else in the church is done by good people full of the spirit and wisdom who do their job. So what am I asking? What do I do? What do you do? I'm asking you, number one, to make a commitment before you leave today that you will live a life that glorifies God. Because people will watch you and the reputation of God and Jesus and this church and the church as a whole is at least partly on your shoulders. You're always on duty. You're never off. And people, especially if you've identified yourself, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus. They will rightfully watch you to see if it works. And if it doesn't work in you, they're going to write off Jesus in the church. So make a commitment that as far as it depends upon me, with the help of God's spirit, I'm going to live a life that glorifies God in every way, no matter where I go. Number two, I'm going to join a church. A Christian without a church is, is like a football player without a team. You can't accomplish much by yourself. You need a team. You will not find a perfect team. There are no perfect teams. You will not find a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. But you find one that God has led you to, you jump in and you do everything you can to make it better. There, there, there's no New Testament Christianity separate from the church. That's how it works. And so join a church. If you have decided for some reason you can't join this church, go find one you can. But if this is where God has led you, jump in and join. Number three, serve in your church. Find a position. What is it you do? And when you find that, do it to the very best of your ability. If it's preaching, put your heart into it. If it's teaching a class, make a commitment. This will be the best class I could possibly have with the help of God. If it's serving food on a budget, which is often true in a church, it's going to be the best meal I can do with the talents God has given me. If it's serving in the nursery, I'm going to do everything I can to love these babies and their moms and dads so that they can come and worship and feel good about the church. And no matter what your job is, you do it to the very best of your ability, so serve. Find out what it is. This is what I do. By the way, serving and sitting in a pew are not the same. I like you all to sit in a pew, but that's like preparation. This is like the pre-team meeting. 
This is like the coach saying, everybody get in. Here's the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. Now let's go. And the coach runs out in the field and everybody else sits in the, the locker room. That apparently happened to ASU last night, but that's a, another whole story. No. Everybody has a position. They know their role and they do it to the best of their ability. If I'm the backup, third-string quarterback, when those guys get hurt, I'm going in, and I'm going to make them wish that I was the starting quarterback. I'm going to do the best I can, no matter what my role is. Live a life that glorifies God. Join a church. Serve in your church. And number four, keep a good attitude. Your attitude is maybe the best reflection of your faith that you will ever see. The early church had a good attitude because they believed in Jesus. Problems didn't stop them because they saw Jesus dealt with problems. Obstacles did not keep them from moving forward because they saw Jesus constantly facing obstacles. Hard work didn't bother them because they saw Jesus getting up early in the morning and still ministering to people after the sun went down. Persecution didn't stop them, for they saw that Jesus had been persecuted. Even death didn't scare them, for they saw Jesus die and then overcome death when he was resurrected. And so their good attitude was a reflection of a good faith. Adjusting your attitude is really a matter of adjusting your faith and seeing God and Jesus correctly. So are you ready to join, to serve, to commit between you and God to living a holy life and then to do it with an attitude like Jesus and the early church? I will face good times, tough times, and even death because of my faith in Jesus. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I pray that there will be people today who make an absolute commitment. Jesus, I'm going to remember every day, all day, that I'm on duty for you, and I'm going to live a life where people see you God, I admit I've had a bad attitude and I repent of it. I want to be like Jesus in the early church. Be able to face challenges, tough times, persecution, oppositions, even a beating with a good attitude. God, I'm going to join a church. If not this one, I'll find one. And I'm going to jump in and I'm going to serve. I'm going to use my talents and abilities and all that you've given me to make my church the best it can be. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.